I love playing the game, Would You Rather, because it forces you to make decisions for which there's really no good answer. I'm not a fan of the gross ones or the silly ones, but I am a fan of the more philosophical ones. Would you rather go through life unable to forget anything ever or go through life unable to remember anything? Would you rather give up all technology, cell phones, computers, etc., or give up all movies, television, and books? Would you rather be loved or love? Would you rather have betrayed someone and no one ever find out, or to have not betrayed that person, but everyone believe that you did? Our case this week brings us just such philosophical questions. In this case, it's would you rather be tormented by an entity and everyone believe you, therefore forcing you to move, make you an outcast, or to face that same entity, but everyone believe that you're making it up? It's that question that we'll be exploring this week as we delve into the nine months of terror a young family faced in what they originally believed to be their dream home. The sights, the sounds, the voices, the witch. It was more than they could stand. This is the case of the Tallman haunting. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Okay, I'm excited because that little, the last would you rather, you know, be haunted forever, yeah. or, yeah. you know, that's, that, that gets you thinking. It does. I know. And Maggie, it is a spooky one this week. So, and that is because I am in the midst of interviewing for my next few episodes. So with the scheduling of those, I needed another week to get those arranged. And I decided to do a supernatural one. And even when I was researching this one, it gave me nightmares. Oh, that's good. Because, you know, I'm just like in the midst of all those. Yeah crazy pregnancy dreams that you have so that's good (laughs) yeah I do want to warn you that this might be one of those cases where you're going to be listening to it and then every creak will make you jump and every shadow will make you do a double take 
So this is one where I'm going to be saying, God, please protect my soul. Right. Yes. Tonight as you go to sleep. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you might be like, Anthony, can you come sit with me while we <laughs> talk? So our case this week actually involves a potential haunted object. Hmm. And, you know, I have told you the story of my possessed doll. Yes. And I would swear on a Bible that this doll was possessed. And I don't remember if I shared it on here on the regular podcast on the show, but I know I shared it in a Patreon mm -hmm. episode. So there's just a little teaser that if you want to hear the demented doll story <laughs> from my experience, join Patreon. But that doll, the thought of it still gives me the creeps to think about but I had no idea until this week when I was looking into it that there is actually a market out there for possessed and haunted <laughs> Who would want that is my question. Like they, you can just go online and buy Allison's possessed baby doll? Yes. Oh. Yes. And I have no earthly idea why... I, was, I almost said what could possess someone to, to want to possess <laughs> these dolls. But apparently there is a whole section of eBay called Haunted eBay. Where there is even a, quote, purchase with caution warning. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And so I was looking through it and you can find anything from coins to bottles, to sticks, to bricks, to porcelain figures, to masks, even to a haunted bra. I'm confused how that could be haunted. I I was too, but apparently, <laughs> apparently thing, it guess. can be. Yeah. But more than anything else, and this might be one of the most terrifying things to think about, is I saw that the majority of the haunted objects were items related to children, like teddy bears and porcelain dolls or dolls in general. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I mean, because maybe kids are more perceptive. I, I think know. that maybe. And I mean, obviously, I'm not a demonologist. <laughs> but when I think about evil spirits, I always imagine that they would want to attack innocence. Uh, because I feel like if somebody's already evil, then what's the challenge? Yeah, it's true. Good so point. I, I guess that's why. But our haunted item in the case this week is, well, it's weird. More weird than a bra? Yes. Okay. Well, about the same level. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> because our haunted item in the case is a bunk bed. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. So I'm going to step back. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the family and how the purchase of the bunk bed was made in the first place. Okay. In doing so... I do have to make a confession, and that is that nowhere are the names of the Tallman children listed. Is this very old, or? It's from the late 80s. Hmm. So I feel like that's really impressive. Since this case took place almost 40 years ago. In yeah, that their names are still. Still nowhere to be found. Yeah. 
but the parents' names are listed. And so that actually makes me wonder if their names, at least their first names that I read in the research, are truly their names. Yeah, because Because, I feel like people would know, oh, Allison's daughter is blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. And especially with a unique last name like Tallman, Mm -hmm. I would think that the children's names would have been out there somewhere in all of this time. And so since the children's names aren't readily available, but they are an integral part of the story, they have, over the course of time, been, quote unquote, assigned names over the years. Because, you know, you don't want to say, like, daughter one, daughter two. Mm -hmm. And so the names that they have been assigned, the boy who is the oldest in most of my research was called Danny though there were a few sources that called him Kenny no, but I'm going to call him better. Danny for the boy and two girls and they have been named Marianne and Sarah okay so Danny Marianne Sarah and again those names could be accurate for all I know or a hundred percent false <laughs> But I'm just going to stick with the norm instead of, you know, randomly assigning them my own names. Gotcha. For the case of this, <laughs> this story. So I told you that we are in 1986. And to give some context, we're actually April 13th, 1986, to be exact. And in January, our country had watched the Challenger explosion. Mm-hmm. I was actually in second grade watching it on television you know what though let's talk about that for a second why do they think which i mean i know in the challenger that was different because like we obviously didn't know it was going to explode correct so when you watched it it's not like your teachers were thinking oh we're gonna let these kids watch people die Something but that then, will haunt them forever. Yeah. Yeah. But then I'm thinking like my generation, I was in fifth grade for September 11th and they literally turned the TV on. Like mm-hmm. we watched the plane, the second plane crash into the Twin Towers. Like we were watching. Knowing what was going on windows. in your yeah. case. Yeah. And they knew obviously people were going to die. I mean, they may not have known exactly what was going on, but you know, that's traumatic. And I yeah. was like in fifth grade. So yeah. All of us are traumatized in our own yeah. ways yeah. by things that it were shown on television. Yeah. yeah. So that happened in January of 1986. Halley's Comet had just had its closest approach to Earth in 1986. Oh. And in Horican, Wisconsin, the young Tallman family consisting at the time in April of 1986 of Dad Allen Mom, Debbie, who was pregnant with Sarah at the time, and then Danny and Marianne were moving into the house that they thought was going to be their forever home located on Larrabee Street. Okay. Where is this? Is this town a very small town? Because I've never heard of it. It is a very small town. And Alan and Debbie were both from Wisconsin, and they actually had family who were just a short drive from Horican. Okay. So it it made sense that they would pick this little town because, well, I, I'll tell you about the town in just a second. But initially, they were right about this being their dream home because the house had all of the bedrooms that they would need. 
it was on this quiet street and the town of Horican itself, they often called it the city on the marsh, was this quiet stayed place. The population actually today is around 3,600 people, which was roughly, yeah, that's roughly the same size it was in 1986. So the population has remained kind of stagnant. And kind of a town where everyone knows everyone's business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 3,600 people. That's like a high school Mm -hmm. population. This was also a small farming town where the downtown area covered less than three and a half square miles. But the Tallmans, you know, they were looking for a safe place. They're a young family. They want a good place to raise their kids. Alan actually worked at a manufacturing plant as the night shift supervisor. And Debbie was a stay-at-home mom. So, again, he's working nights. And she's a stay-at-home mom. So, she's got two and one on the way. That's a very um, stereotypical of a, like, 1980s household. Yeah. And the home that they bought here in Horican, it was actually only four years old itself. And it was one that they were able to purchase on a low interest FHA loan. So they were like, this fits the bill. This is everything that we want in a house. And they were making wonderful memories in their first year in the house. When they first moved in, like I said a second ago, there were only four of them. There was Alan, dad, Debbie, the mom, and then Danny, who was seven at the time, and Marianne was nearly two. And it wasn't long after they moved into the house in April, just a few months later in November of 1986, the family welcomed little Sarah as well. They're going to be a busy mommy and daddy. Yes. Near the end of her pregnancy, Debbie was pretty ill. And so she was put on bed rest. So during that time of bed rest, Debbie's mom and sister would often stop in and check on her, check on the kids. Because remember, Alan's working night shift and, you know, he can't be there at all hours to take care of her. Mm -hmm. He has to keep going to work. And when her mom and sister would stop by, they actually told Debbie that there was just something off about the house that they didn't like. Like not physically or the layout, but something like a in the atmosphere, I guess. Yeah, it wasn't something where they said, oh, it needs a more open floor plan or anything like vibe. that. Yeah, so the, the cause of their distaste towards the house Like I said, it was something they couldn't pinpoint, but they would later say that whenever they would stop in, there was almost an overwhelming urge to get back out and get away. And they didn't feel that, Alan and Debbie, when they bought the home? This was just the mom and the sister? Right. This was the mom and the sister. And Mm -hmm. Alan and Debbie didn't report any initial feelings like that. But her mom and sister did. They said that when they would come in, it was almost as if they couldn't breathe or like they were being suffocated. And Debbie's sister would even become nauseous every time she would visit. Interesting. So then I wonder if we're going with, you know, this witch or spirit theory, if maybe they were just more affected by it than what Debbie or Alan were. Perhaps. 
we'll get there. And this something that was wrong, it was something that animals could sense as well. The Tallmans had purchased a kitten for the kids, but they soon found that the kitten would act erratically, especially after sunset. Hmm. So fine during the day. At night, the cat would zoom around the entire house, climb up doors, and just wreak havoc. And it was so bad that Alan tried putting the kitten in the bathroom at night. Like, okay, you're not going to destroy the house while we're sleeping. But the cat would howl continually until he opened the door. And then it would run around like crazy and even hang from the living room walls. And eventually the cat ran away. So cats are really weird. Mm -hmm. And one of my really good friends, she has a cat and he climbs up curtains and tries to climb up walls. But... I'm going to guess this was more than just your normal crazy cat. This was like a crazy cat. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Well, and especially because it wouldn't happen during the day. Mm, yeah. Only after sunset. And then it was like, I've had too much. Peace out. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. But Maggie, it was in February of 1987 that things really changed. So remember, Baby girl Sarah was born in November, so she's mm -hmm. only about three months old at this point. So initially, Danny had had his own room, which was the largest one, and Marianne and Sarah had shared a smaller nursery-type room. But, you know, Alan and Debbie were thinking, as the girls get older, mm -hmm. there's two of them. So they're probably going to need the bigger room because they're going right. to have to share. So the Tallmans decided to switch the children's bedrooms. And in order to eventually make room for both girls, they decided to purchase a bunk bed that they would use as Sarah grew old enough to sleep in a big girl bed. And this is the haunted bunk bed. This is the bunk bed. Mm -hmm. But see, I feel like herein lies the first mistake. Because haunted or not, bunk beds are evil. Oh, they give me major anxiety if they don't mm -hmm. have the rails that are attached, attached, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like I've told you this story before, but I may not have. I fell off the top of my dorm bunk bed oh. in college when I was <laughs> sleeping one night. Did I have I told you this? No. Yes. Fell off the top bunk in my sleep. And didn't wake up until I hit the paper-thin carpet covering the slab floor. I actually thought, of course, I woke up immediately when I hit. I thought I broke my nose. Oh, yeah. Because I hit face first. And so I started screaming immediately. And I was saying, my nose. I think I broke my nose. And my roommate jumps out of bed. She runs over. She flips on the light. And I pull my hands away from my face. And, you know, facial wounds bleed yeah. a lot anyway. There was blood. I mean, it was dripping Ugh. off of my hands. And so my roommate starts flipping out. And that is when it happened. I went into shock. Mm. I truly believe I did because I saw all the blood dripping on my hands and I just calmly stood up 
and I walked down the hallway to the bathroom. I washed my hands. I splashed water and washed my face off. And then I walked back to my room, just calm. And my roommate was so traumatized by all the blood. She was sitting on her bed, rocking back and forth. I swear to you. And I just looked at her and I said, I think I should go to the hospital for stitches. (laughs) I mean, I said it as calmly as that. And of course, when I hit, because it's dead weight, I mean, it was a thud. Mm -hmm. And so another girl down the hall actually woke up when I hit and she had come down, I guess, when I was in the bathroom. So she was there when I came back and she actually drove me to the emergency room because my roommate couldn't drive. And so (laughs) this, this girl down the hall drove me to the emergency room and I got six stitches right on the inside of my left eyebrow. We put after that, both of the beds flat on the floor and I have never slept on the top of a bunk bed since. So in this week's case, it doesn't take a lot to convince me that a bunk bed is haunted and evil because I am predisposed to think that they are evil anyway. Sounds very traumatic. Yes. And this particular bunk bed was one that Alan and Debbie had purchased at a secondhand store. Well, this is going to make me not want to buy anything from a second-hand place. (laughs) Yeah, you don't know why it's there. And they had excitedly brought it home, knowing that the kids were going to be equally excited to see it. Because even though bunk beds are evil, kids love them. But it seems as though they brought more than just bunk beds into their home. Alan had taken the bed down to the basement to assemble it. And I don't know if he did that because it required a lot of construction and his tools were down there. But a That's few, weird because then how would you get it back up, you know? Yeah, I know. And a few of the sources, not all of okay. them, though, Whatever, Alan. kind of indicated that the bed was going to be a surprise. So maybe they were taking it down there to put it together, you know, so the kids don't see it until the final product. But it just would have seemed a lot easier to me if he had built it in the room itself. I'm just saying. Same. And almost immediately, things changed. While the bunk bed's in the basement or after he brought it up? While the bunk bed is in the basement. But the changes were small at first, Maggie. Things that you could chalk up to almost anything else. So the children, who were always very healthy and rarely ill began to get sick. So much so that Debbie was bringing them to the pediatrician several times a week. And Hmm. sometimes it was just one child. Sometimes it was all three. But, you know, like I said, small things that you could chalk up to other, other reasons. So, I mean, logically, you could think, okay, well, Maybe this is just a particularly nasty season for viruses or something like that. You know, you could explain it away. You know where my mind went, though, was I think it was a Patreon episode that we covered where the lady had the poison in the bottle or something like that. Yeah. You just keep Mm -hmm. your thoughts in there. Like, shout them out when you think them. But we'll talk about theories. But it continued this way for several weeks. In May, the Tallmans actually brought the bunk bed upstairs 
and placed it in the room beside Danny's. That same night, Danny woke up to a strange sound. His parents usually tucked him into bed and turned on the radio so that he could listen to calming music as he fell asleep. But Mm -hmm. somehow the station had changed. So he went to go tell his parents. Like he woke up and all of a sudden it's not the soothing music. It's like loud static. So Debbie came in to fix the station and she tucked Danny back into bed. But he was soon standing in front of them again. Again, he said, the station had changed. But the scariest part was what Danny said he saw. He said the dial knob on the radio seemed to be moving and turning on its own as it quickly switched between stations, the needle moving to one side and then moving to the other as the dial is turning. Well, obviously, Danny was We'd be getting Danny a new radio. Yeah, he was terrified, and he did what all kids do in a situation like this one. And again, he ran to his parents, frantically mm-hmm. telling them what he had just experienced. But, you know, Danny's young. He's around seven. And I'd, obviously, it's not a person's first inclination to think, oh, I bet it's a poltergeist that's turning the radio knobs. Yeah. So, you know, they're thinking this is just Danny's imagination. Maybe it was just a bad but vivid dream. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, if it were true that the dial was switching, maybe it's a faulty radio. Like there's something in it that's causing it to do that. So they took the radio out of his room and they sent him back to bed. Again, all was well for a few weeks. The next incident was also something small, but creepy nonetheless. Alan had been in the basement painting when Debbie had yelled down to him to take a break because it was time to eat. And knowing that he was going to come right back to it, Alan lay the paintbrush down on the edge of the paint pan. So not the can, but the the pan, right, where you're like roll out your roller. And he came upstairs, Mm -hmm. he had a nice lunch with his family. When he returned to work, the paintbrush wasn't where he had left it. It wasn't on the floor. It wasn't on the table beside the pan. Instead, it was inside the paint can with the handle down and the bristles up. Okay, so obviously he knows he did not do that. Yeah, And there really is no logical explanation, but he just decided to brush it off as an accident somehow. Like, I don't know how this happened, but somehow it happened and continued Mm -hmm. on. He didn't even tell Debbie about it at the time. And, you know, the cat's no longer there at this point. So it wasn't like he could blame it on a cat or an animal or something. But that's weird. I'm sure he's thinking, you know, maybe I thought I put it in the pan, but I actually laid it on the can and it tipped right into Something. the can. Yeah, I must be mis- yeah. misremembering. Moments later, he thought he caught a glimpse of a shadow moving in the corner of the well, basement. No, ma'am. But upon closer inspection, he didn't see any more movement. And again, he's convincing himself, all right, I'm just being jumpy. 
So he mm-hmm. went upstairs for the rest of the day. But it wasn't just the family who began to experience strange things. Of course, I've already mentioned both the cat and Debbie's family. There was also a babysitter. A local girl was watching the kids while Alan and Debbie enjoyed a date night. But when they returned home, they did so to a frightened teen. She told them that she and Danny had been playing a board game in the kitchen when a rocking chair had begun moving on its own. It was first rocking on its own and then bouncing around. And this is not teen, what, like 87 now? So she would have had no way to call them. You know, now right. we can pick up the phone and call the cell yeah, phone. Yeah, it's, it's not and like you can leave she the had kids. To suck it up. Yep. Luckily, mm-hmm. she was able to calm Danny and eventually get him into bed. So he was in bed when Alan and Debbie got home and she's telling this story and she's, you know, freaking out. So having spoken with her with while Danny was sleeping, Alan and Debbie waited until the next morning to talk to Danny. And, you know, they're asking him, is there anything abnormal that happened the night before? You know, they want to make sure she's not making this up mm-hmm. or whatever. And he told them an identical story. Then mm-hmm. nothing happens for a couple of months. So they're beginning to wonder, okay, are we just spooking ourselves out here? Mm-hmm. You know, are we are imagining really exactly? Of- is it just because for something to happen and then weeks go by and nothing else happens? I think that would be easy to do to just convince yourself, okay, you know, this was nothing. I'm just freaking myself out. But just as they began to wonder that, the strange occurrences began escalating. Doors would open and close on their own. Alan and Debbie began arguing more frequently. They were on edge. They were testy. They were sleep deprived because the children began waking them up more and more often with nightmares and strange stories. This is kind of creepy, but like you said, so many of it, so much of it rather, I think you could almost explain away mm-hmm. you know a draft in the house could cause right. the door to open if yeah. it wasn't all the way closed or you know something like that but then when you start having the really creepy nightmares and you're getting sleep deprived so you're like maybe we are imagining some of this i just don't mm-hmm. know i know I'm, just, I'm, I'm eager to see what keeps happening so daniela di rienzo wrote of the incidents in the house in her article for only in your state she wrote quote eventually the entire family was being terrorized doors slamming shut items moving on their own and phantom voices were just a few things the tallman's experienced probably the scariest of all though is the red-eyed witch, which was seen by one of the children, end quote. And yes, Maggie, you heard that right, a witch. Okay. In the interim of time, you know, because I told you about an incident and I said, you know, several weeks passed and then another incident, several months passed. Mm-hmm. Two-year-old Marianne had begun to sleep on the bunk bed in the room that she shared with Sarah. And soon after she did so, 
her nightmares began and they were of a singular Mm. nature. When Debbie would come into the room to comfort Marianne after she was screaming, after having had a bad dream, Marianne would say the same things. That there had been an old woman with long black hair and glowing red eyes behind the door of her room. Sometimes she would be there staring at Marianne. Other times... In her dreams, Marianne said the old woman would set fires in the bedroom. And so, you know, when Debbie would run in, there's no sign of a red-eyed witch, no sign of a fire. Mm -hmm. So, again, as a parent, you think, okay, this is just a child's wild imagination. But it was a little bit disconcerting, though, that her nightmares, they were always the red-eyed witch, fire, the red-eyed witch, fire. But because Debbie's thinking, okay, maybe this is just her imagination, and out of fear of scaring the other children, Debbie kept that information to herself about what the content Oh, right, because then if Danny hears, Mm -hmm. then he may start dreaming of this red-eyed witch. And about a month after Marianne's nightmares began, Danny woke up screaming in the middle of the night. When mm-hmm. Debbie ran into his room, he told her that he had woken up. So not in a dream. He said he had woken up and saw a long, dark-haired old woman who was glowing bright red like she was on fire. No, ma'am. And now I know why this house was only lived in four years before it was sold. Uh-huh. Yep. Did you got to crazy witch living in there right the nightmares grew in intensity and in frequency the children were having nightmares of the witch nearly every night then they complained of weird noises they couldn't sleep they wouldn't only stay awake themselves but obviously when they would wake up it was waking alan and debbie up at night as well. And so Mm -hmm. again, tensions are rising because they're not getting sleep. The kids are terrified. They don't want to go to sleep because they are, they keep having these nightmares. Marianne actually formed a relationship with a new imaginary friend around this time as well. And Debbie would walk in and Marianne would be talking or giggling with this imaginary friend. Okay, are you getting ready to say, and I think you are, that maybe her nightmare started involving this friend as well? They did. Yeah. Oh. It, it wasn't <laughs> no, that long. gave me chill bumps. Yeah, before <laughs> no. that same friend was someone about whom Marianne would have nightmares and she became frightened of. So whatever mm. it was seemed to be terrorizing the children. Right. They seem to be the focus because they're the ones having nightmares. Mm -hmm. Then it began to terrorize everyone. One evening, Debbie had taken Alan to the hospital because he had a sinus infection and it had continued to grow worse. So Alan's mother had come over to watch the children while Debbie and Alan were at the hospital. The children had already been tucked into bed and Alan's mother had drifted to sleep on the living room sofa. 
when she woke, she said she saw a pair of red eyes outside of the house staring in the window right at her. Mm -hmm. So she's thinking, okay, I'm still half asleep. She quickly rubs her eyes. So she's thinking the sight, you know, this has to be just the vestiges of some bad dream, right? I just need to Mm -hmm. wipe them away. So she's rubbing her eyes. But as she moves her fists away from rubbing the sleep from her eyes, the red eyes were still there and bright as ever. No. I'd be like, kids, pack up your crap. We're going to Granny's house. That's right. Road trip. But only a few moments later, Debbie and Alan returned home, and Alan's mother ran out the door as they did so. She could not get out of the home. As she should. So you may be wondering why the Tallmans didn't themselves immediately leave the home. And it's because, like we were talking about earlier, much of the activity was sporadic. So they would have those times of chaos and then, and obviously near constant activity, and then a week of nothing. They did take one very important step, though, a step that we saw the friends take in our coverage of the Humpty Doo poltergeist in episode 145. They called mm-hmm. in their preacher. We need some holy water up in that place. (laughs) That's right. The Tallmans attended church, but from what I could gather, semi-regularly, at least. So they called in Pastor Wayne DeBratz from St. Stephen's Lutheran Church. That was the church they attended. As soon as he entered the home, he said he felt a strange and dangerous presence and almost immediately proclaimed that their house was under siege from the devil. Now, as a remedy, mm. he told them to attend church every Sunday and to play religious music all the time and to pray. Then he prayed himself Lord. and blessed the house. But since we're only halfway through the episode, I'm sure you know that didn't work. <laughs> My daughter and I love smoothies, but what we don't love are smoothie bar prices. With our Blinja 2 Portable Blender, we can make smoothie bar quality drinks for a fraction of the price. Blinja 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. And it's small enough to fit into a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Even better, Blinjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. Plus, it lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via a USB-C. You guys have heard me say it before and I'll say it again. Best of all, the Blinjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. Plus, they have so many trendy colors to choose from. The hardest choice will be which design you want to rock. We also want to introduce you to the Orbiter Drinking Lid. The Orbiter Drinking Lid balances a leak-proof design with one-hand-use convenience and a modern, minimalist design. The Orbiter Drinking Lid is so easy to use, you only need one hand. Blendjet's patent-pending design allows you to open and drink by simply rotating the lid with your thumb. Just when we thought the Blendjet 2 couldn't get any better, it did. Now you can blend anywhere without spilling everywhere. So what are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code Coffee and Cases Blendjet to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. 
No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 portable blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code COFFEEANDCASESBLENDJET to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. So after the priest came, Maggie, things did Mm -hmm. calm down again for a little bit. Oh, good. Then they escalated with a fury. One evening, Alan came down to the basement to find that one of the basement windows had been removed and was propped against the basement wall. I'm sorry. Yeah. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Like it removed. hadn't been broken. Nope. It had been okay in one piece. Yes. And no one was in the home who shouldn't be, and nothing was taken. And Alan had an extensive rifle collection. Mm-hmm. All of it was there. And from what I read, this window was one where you would have to, if you were inside, be on a ladder to get it out. And there's no ladder down there. Hmm. Okay. So there's that. The refrigerator and other doors would open and close on their own. A suitcase would slide out from under the bed and then back again. That's creepy. The family would hear voices coming from rooms that they knew were empty. It's at that point I would be taking that suitcase, Mm -hmm. going to my closet and filling it up with my stuff. If I even touch that suitcase again. I might just go pull it That's out of my true. car and throw it in my car. I'll be like, I'm not touching that. Something else yeah. has touched it. <laughs> Debbie would hear the garage door opening and closing. Alan felt like someone was always watching him. And at times that when he walked into his home, he said he felt like he was, quote, shutting himself in a tomb, end quote. Mm-hmm. Alan would even be at work. And would be struck by these visions of coming home to see his entire family brutally murdered. So then this, whatever's going on, is happening beyond just the walls of their house now. Correct. Yeah. Because he would get these visions, he said, at work. And Debbie had started getting nightmares, too. And she wasn't one who normally had nightmares. But her nightmares would be that her children were dying, that her father was dying, that Alan was dying. Those were the nightmares that she was getting. 
little Danny was so scared by this point that he didn't even want to come into his home. Like, he would kick and scream when it was time for bed. And that happened especially so. Yeah, it's very sad. Especially so after another terrifying nightmare a couple of weeks before Christmas in 1987. Did, did they try ever, which I guess if it's affecting all of them, that wouldn't really help. But I was going to say maybe co-sleeping with their kids. That so have done anything. I will I will tell you more in a minute. But Alan did start sleeping on the floor in his daughter's bedroom. He did mm. do that. But this nightmare that Danny had right before Christmas, just a couple of weeks before Christmas, was so bad that Alan, and again, he's sleep deprived, but he's also angry and he's frustrated that he yells out to the spirit at the top of his lungs, pick on me and leave my kids alone. If you want to fight, fight me. And it took him seriously. Oh, Alan. Oh. Three weeks later, on January 7th, when Alan got home from his night shift around 2 a.m., he heard a howling sound no. coming from near his garage. So he went to go see what was causing it. He is a braver person than I. Because yeah, I, I would have been be turning like, my car around. That's right. Or like, get inside, lock the door. No, he went to go look. And yeah. he doesn't see anything. I mean, it was so loud that he said that he thought that somebody was playing a trick on him. But then he gets closer. There's nothing. And then he heard it. A voice. And like you mentioned, this time it's not coming from, this isn't happening inside of his house, but outside. The voice said, come here. Oh, no. And it emanated from no. the direction of the garage. And it kept saying, come here. Come here. And when Alan approached the garage, he saw a huge fire blazing inside. Like, okay, so like, like a, a real garage fire, is not, on fire. He's not imagining it. Well, he sees a huge fire. And from within the flames, he saw two burning, glowing red eyes staring out at him. So, obviously, mm -hmm. thinking this is truly a fire, Alan ran inside the home to grab the fire extinguisher. So, he quickly gathers his thoughts. As soon as he gets inside, he sets down his lunch pail, because remember, he's just gotten back from work, and he grabs the fire extinguisher. Mm -hmm. But when he gets outside with the extinguisher to put out the fire, there's no fire in the garage. Mm -hmm. Nothing was scorched. No smoke. Nothing. Like he had so this is like the dream, mm -hmm. and it's like the dream the kids were having, but instead of it being Awake. a dream. Yeah. yeah. So when he steps back inside, he reaches down. He's like, oh, I, you know, I've just imagined this. Like I'm hallucinating. So he, he reaches down to pick up his lunch pail that he had hastily set down when he had taken the extinguisher out. But just as he had his lunch pail in his grips, he said he felt 
as if some force wrenched it from his hands and launched it across the room. Y'all need to go to a hotel. Mm -hmm. And not knowing what else to do, because, you know, the rest of his family's asleep, he just tried to calm himself down and to go to sleep. Again, braver person than I. By this point, like I mentioned just a second ago, he had taken to sleeping on the floor in the girls' room because that was one of the only ways that they felt safe and calm enough to mostly sleep through the night on the seldom times that they did. So going to their room now to lie down, he was only asleep a short time before he woke up to see a fog in the room. Almost like smoke that seemed to rise up from the floor. And then he saw a fire. And like you just said, this isn't happening like he's having a nightmare and then he wakes up and it's not there anymore. It's almost like with his mom. She thinks she's having a nightmare. She rubs her eyes. It's still there. Mm -hmm. So he woke up to see this fog smoke rising from the floor. And then a fire appeared. With green eyes in the middle of the fire and a voice that seemed to come from the fire. These eyes are looking right at him and it says, you're dead. So, Alan, yes. Yep. Mm -mm. Yep. Alan ran to wake up Debbie, but he was so shaken from this experience that he couldn't speak. She recalled that his lips were blue. He was shaking, physically shaking, tears streaming down his face, but he wouldn't talk Mm -mm. when she was repeatedly asking him what happened. So Debbie again called the pastor. And based upon the pastor's own experience with paranormal, he believed everything that Alan and Debbie told him just a few nights later on january 11th 1988 and still traumatized by the experiences that he himself had when alan had to work late as he was working his next overnight shift he asked a teenage relative of his to come to stay in the home with debbie and the kids and to sleep in the room with the girls until they fell asleep and he got home around 2 a.m. Are we going to talk about later on, maybe in theories, I know you mentioned that they didn't leave because the things were sporadic, you know, and not constant. But they're getting so much more violent and more frequent. Do we talk about why they don't leave? Because me, myself, and I would have had... We would have been gone already. Well, this night they do leave. Good for them. So on this night, on January 11th, when Alan had asked that teenage relative to stay, and this was a relative who didn't believe in demons or hauntings Mm -hmm. or anything like that. But after this night, his mind was changed. He awoke from his sleep. So he's staying the night in the girls' room. He wakes up to see the shape of this evil old woman materializing before his eyes. He saw it. He starts screaming. The 
children see it. He screams for Debbie to come in. She was so like overtaken by the sense of dread, so terrified that she couldn't even bring herself to go into the room. But she's screaming for that relative to grab the girls. And then she pushed everyone out of the house into the car and drove away. Yeah. And I would never come back. Well, that was like, leave my stuff. Don't need it. That was the final episode. That was all that they could take. And the family fled the home in the middle of winter, in the middle of the night. The family put the home up for sale. They were willing to take a loss just to get Mm -hmm. rid of it. But it, it wasn't the house that they believed was the root cause of their terrifying ordeal, but the bunk bed, because buying that bunk bed seemed to coincide with all of the visions and the actions that plagued the family. But didn't her sister and mom before the bunk bed came in said that they got weird feelings inside the house? They did. And we will talk about that. But things that the Tallman family actually experienced didn't happen until after the bunk bed was introduced. Gotcha. So they're thinking that is the cause. They destroyed the bunk bed and they actually placed the remnants in a landfill. Debbie Mm. said this of the bunk bed, quote, the beds were buried in a landfill where nobody will ever build. They took them out there and plowed them under, end quote. And the family did so in a private landfill, hoping that they would never be unearthed. Oh, God, so creepy. Yes. The Tallman story and the case of the demon bunk bed was one of the first episodes of the new television series at the time called Unsolved Mysteries. Oh! Appearing in its 1988 season on October 26th. So not long after the Tallmans fled their home because they fled their home the beginning of 1988. And this aired in October. The episode was filmed in the actual Tallman home. So they're in their home, but the bunk bed, like I mentioned before, had already been destroyed. The Tallmans Mm -hmm. in the coverage on Unsolved Mysteries are interviewed, but they sit in shadows to protect their Mm. identity. They asked that their children's names be kept out of the media, and they asked that actors would play them in the reenactment because they didn't want to do it themselves, and they didn't want the attention that the story would bring. And it was that act of not wanting the attention, of wanting to be in the shadows, of wanting actors to play them, that kind Mm -hmm. of added to the validity of their claims for a lot of people. Because it doesn't seem like they're doing Oh, because they didn't want the fame. Mm -hmm. In fact, the only way that they would even agree to have their experience aired on television was if those... Um, specifications were met, that their faces were obscured, their children's names were never released, and if they were played by actors. Right, because they never actually called the police, just the priest. So what was happening was just happening to them and maybe their family knew about some of it if they told them that. Mm -hmm. But somehow, despite the attempts to keep out of the public eye, word did quickly spread as it often does in small towns. And I don't know Mm -hmm. how 
word necessarily got out, but it really could have been from anybody. I mean, the neighbors seeing them flee in the middle of the night or hearing screams, the babysitter. I mean, there were all kinds of people who had some idea about it. The media soon began showing up along the street, which drew hordes of locals and out-of-towners who were eager to see the house. And listen, I'd be the opposite I'd be like, where's the house? Okay, let me drive in the opposite direction. Yeah, and if I was their neighbor, I'd be like, well, we're moving too. Bye. That's right. right. I don't want it to be like roaches. It's going to like leave your house and come to mine. I don't want that. As Mm -hmm. weeks and months passed, and especially after the airing of the Unsolved Mysteries episode, rumor grew to lore concerning the Tallman home. Soon, the events that did terrorize the family were elevated to things akin to the Amityville haunting of the Lutz family. And I don't know how -hmm. familiar you are with that. I just read the Amityville horror book um, about the Lutz family. And so, you know, soon the stories about what happened to the Tallmans, it was kind of confusing details from the Amityville haunting with the Tallman experience. So people would say, oh, there was slime oozing down the walls. But that happened in Amityville, but not here with the Tallman. So I don't even know where Amityville is. It's in New York. Okay. So not even close. No. And others are whispering that there was a hole to hell in the basement of the Tallman home. But again, there's a little bit of a confusion here with the Lutz family and Amityville and the Red Room in their basement. And there were even tales of a snowblower for the Tallman family turning itself on and clearing off the driveway all by itself. Now that, to me, sounds okay, like... Why would it be nice? Ghost. I know. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't exactly. sound like an evil spirit. But none of those things happened to the Tallmans. What did result from the case growing in public attention were the attempts at vandalism and arson on the home, especially by those who believed there truly was an evil entity combined within its walls. The attempts grew so dangerous that since the Tallmans had already moved out, law enforcement actually released the address of the now vacant home because they were so afraid that vandalizers or arsonists would get confused and set the wrong house ablaze and kill an innocent family also oh. living on Larrabee Street. So they're like, okay, we better so tell them which house it is. Yes. Now, you may not know the answer to this question. I may need to ask a realtor, but... What happens to their, because I know obviously they need to sell the home, because if not, then they are the owners of that home. Mm -hmm. And I know you have to pay, like, the interest or whatever on it. Mm -hmm. Does that just continue indefinitely? So, like, if they never sold this home, they would just have to continue paying on it? Yeah. Or, I guess, file bankruptcy. I don't know or if it's burnt then. down, can you claim the insurance then, I guess? I mean, as long as it's not proven arson. Hmm. I know. Well, sticky situation. Yeah. And others in town immediately began accusing the Tallmans of staging this elaborate hoax in order to get out of their mortgage. So, with an eye to the hmm. mixed reactions, let's discuss some potential theories. 
Okay. On the one hand, there are those who believe that the Tallman family made it all up. On the Facebook page for the paranormal couple who posted about the Unsolved Mysteries coverage of this case, there are individuals who commented that they lived in Horican or even a few of them on the same street as the Tallmans growing up and that they do not believe that the family was truly haunted. They argue instead that they had always heard the couple wanted to get out of the mortgage and that one suspicious thing to them was always that the family who did eventually move in after the Tallmans never experienced anything odd. Why would they choose? I know this was similar to the Humpty Doo poltergeist, Mm -hmm. this theory, but I guess if you're wanting out of your mortgage, why would you choose to pretend your house is haunted instead of something else? Because potentially if people are trying to set fire to the home or whatever, Mm -hmm. you could, like we were talking about a second ago, lose that investment Mm -hmm. altogether and just be like screwed over pretty much. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it makes any sense. Another person on that Facebook page claimed to have gone to school with the children and said that her father worked with Alan and that the whole experience was fabricated to get out of the mortgage. Again, she was like seven or eight. So. Right. And that's the other thing that I was going to say is we all know because we've experienced it. If you know the truth about something and you see how quickly rumors get spread and they escalate. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it could be the case that I, I don't know, stubbed my toe. And then by the end of the day, students are coming in and they're like, I heard that you broke your leg, you know, or something like that. So it happens a lot. And I think when there's doubt, it happens as well. So in this case, you know, people who maybe don't want to believe because they're scared. And so they said, oh, they made it all up. And then that rumor starts getting spread. And still others have said that the Tallmans used the Amityville haunting as a template for creating their own haunting. But again, there are a lot, there are some similarities, but there are a lot of differences. I just also feel like that's a lot of work, but Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure some people probably have done it and maybe they were one of them. And, you know, I would like to think that they were because this was really creepy and I don't want to think that it's real. I know, I know. But to play devil's advocate, if they were making it up, you know, to try to prove those wrong who say that they were making it up. Of course, the family who moved in afterward didn't experience anything if the bunk beds were truly to blame because they've been removed and destroyed. Of course, true, they're not going to experience I didn't think of that. And I will say that it does seem like there were incidents in the home before the bunk bed arrived, like you said, mm-hmm. that were peculiar because Debbie's mom and sister always felt uneasy in the home, even from the time the family moved in. And I don't know much about evil or spirits. So maybe, maybe the house itself was like, primed for such an experience and then the bed itself was just the vessel that caused it to happen i don't know see where you're going 
But I also want to mention, for those who believe that the couple made up the whole thing in order to get out of their mortgage, I read in my research that Alan and Debbie turned down lucrative tabloid offers for the rights to print their story. So if you're doing this to try to get out of paying money, why wouldn't you make decisions that would gain you money? Exactly, yeah. I read that the National Enquirer offered them $5,000. And remember, this is back in 1988. So $5,000 is a hefty sum. And they turned it down. I also saw in several sources that they turned down an offer to tell their story on the Oprah Winfrey show. So they said no, because they said they didn't want to make money off of their children's misfortunes. Yeah, so um, Google says that $5,000 in 1988 would be nearly $13,000 today. Yeah, so that's a significant chunk of change. And in fact, in the process of getting out of their mortgage, they actually lost several thousand dollars. Yeah, I'm sure. So that, to me, especially combined with them not wanting their faces seen, they wanted their faces obscured in the episode, and their children's names kept out of the media, that doesn't Mm -hmm. sound like someone who was making up a story for profit or even to get out of a mortgage. Yeah. All valid points, yeah. There are others who look for a more logical explanation because they're thinking, okay, well, in hindsight, obviously, we were in 1987 and 1988 in the midst of the satanic panic here in the U.S. And we talked a lot about the fear of the occult in our coverage of the Mm -hmm. West Memphis Three case in episodes 135, 36, and 137. And so there was a real fear in the 80s of the occult, of, you know, Satan infiltrating small towns. So people were looking for logical explanations. And in terms of potential logical explanations, we actually have two. Two potential logical explanations. The first and most prominent from those who want to explain away the events on Larrabee Street is a gas leak. There is actually a group based out of Buffalo, New York, called the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of the Paranormal, who have stated that many of the claims from the Tallmans about their experiences are similar to other cases of families who experience similar phenomena as hallucinations caused by a gas leak. Okay, I need to hear more. Okay, so according to Leah Tierney's October 31st, 2020 article in The Stute, and this is a long quote, but it'll explain it all, quote, The confusion of carbon monoxide poisoning for spiritual haunting was recorded in a 1921 issue of the Hmm. American Journal of Ophthalmology by Dr. William Wilmer. Wilmer writes of the distress of his patient, Mrs. H., who tells him the troubles her family have been experiencing since moving into an older and decrepit house frequently using gas lights in the absence of electricity, Mrs. H and her family began to be tormented by visions, voices, Hmm. and physical illness. 
The family was petrified by the sounds of footsteps and moving furniture in empty rooms and by sinister apparitions in the dark. Mrs. H. and her family had unexplained fatigue, pain, and headaches for months, but this was not an isolated incident. In 2016, investigative journalist Carrie Poppy discussed a similar paranormal experience in her TED Talk. Poppy described agonizing chest pains and a constant sense of dread. Despite seeing psychiatrists calling ghost hunters and trying cleansing rituals, Poppy was still afflicted by the supernatural. In both cases, the seemingly paranormal activity was actually caused by carbon monoxide poisoning, end quote. Okay, okay. So then this could explain why the sister would get sick when she was over there. Yeah. Because she was exposed to all of this. Mm Mm-hmm. And it could explain all of the visions and hallucinations they were having. And maybe even their trips to the doctor's office. Yeah. Could be explained by this. But then why did the family after them not have any issues or other people on their street? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great point. And it is true that about a year After the Tallmans moved out of their home, the Wisconsin Power and Light Company did come in to replace faulty gas fittings in several homes in the neighborhood, Hmm. but the Tallman home was not one of the homes. And like you just said, the family who moved in after the Tallmans didn't experience anything. So if it were a gas leak that were causing all of these experiences when the Tallmans lived there and the leak was never fixed, then one would think that the next family would have similar experiences or at least have gotten sick from the leak if that were the logical cause and they didn't. I want to believe this because then it means that, you know, what happened to them wasn't real, but there's, you know, a flip side to every coin, I guess. There is. And additionally, from my research, it seems that carbon monoxide hallucinations happen only in cases with a high level of carbon monoxide in the leak and with long-term exposure. And I don't know how long qualifies as long-term, Yeah, but we did have Debbie's mom and sister, the babysitter, the teenage relative, and Mm -hmm. Alan's mom, who were not full-time residents of the home, who were seeing or feeling things. Plus- Right, exactly. Plus- We have Alan's experience with the voices and the vision of the garage on Uh, fire that took place outside of the home. And at his work. Mm -hmm. And at his work with those visions. A second logical explanation that I only heard mentioned on Hector Navarro's podcast, Myths, Mysteries, and Monsters, was black mold. So I decided to do a little research. On the side effects to compare with the Tallman family's experiences. An article for National Post titled The Truth Behind Haunted Houses Toxic Molds Can Cause Severe Psychosis and Hallucinations, researchers say. It stated the following quote, The idea that certain toxic molds or fungi called the rye ergot fungus 
are able to cause severe psychosis in people who breathe in the hard-to-detect fumes they project. When the air is contaminated, the brain can play subtle tricks on you, a sudden chill, a movement in the corner of your eye, or potentially other ghastly and hallucinatory illusions, end quote. So far, however, Maggie, scientists have only specifically been able to link the breathing in of those mold spores to psychiatric symptoms like mood swings, irrational anger, memory loss, and hyperactivity. So a few, but not all, of the Tallman's experiences. And obviously, only time and more research will tell if mold potentially in this secondhand bunk bed could explain everything in this case. But so far, it hasn't been able to. And then finally, that leaves us with the only other explanation. Those who believe that their experiences were a legitimate haunting. That what is true of other objects like dolls, masks, bottles, coins could also be true for a bunk bed. And that it brought with it an evil presence into the home that truly tormented this family. And I mean, that's a lot of people, including a preacher, to trick into a fake story. And there were so many people who reported seeing similar things. Fires, red eyes, nightmares of death. And plus, there are cases of legitimate haunting. So why couldn't this be one of them as well? And how frustrating must it be if something like this is truly happening to you and no one believes you? So Maggie, what are your thoughts? Oh, like I've said, I really want it to be a logical explanation because then I know that, you know, the the fire and the red-eyed witch weren't real mm-hmm. and that'll help me sleep better tonight. <laughs> um, but it just is also like you, we talked about there are two sides to all of these theories mm-hmm. and it could easily be explained one way or the other. My question is, like you said, how long is long term? Like how long would Debbie's mom or sister or Alan's mom need to be exposed to the mold or the carbon monoxide or whatever Mm -hmm. for them to have these type of visions? Mm -hmm. All I know is I'm going to have trouble sleeping tonight. I know. I science may prove me wrong eventually, but science can't discount everything in the story yet. Mm-hmm. As Robert Stack, host of Unsolved Mysteries, stated, quote, the Tallmans feel they were in a battle with forces they do not understand, a battle they were destined to lose, end quote. After the family moved out, as Debbie Tallman said in the Unsolved Mysteries coverage, people would ask them, is this something that could follow you? She replied that she wouldn't have believed it could have happened the first time. So she doesn't know if this is the end of the story. Debbie went on to say of the experience, quote, I think it's going to be a long time before things get back to normal. I still cannot sit at home at night 
and not be afraid of the dark, end quote. I will say that no other reports have surfaced of the Tallman family being haunted in the years since, nor were the couple who moved next into the home on Larrabee Street tormented by any entities. Was this an evil spirit toying with its prey? The result of a logical explanation that played out in seemingly illogical ways? Or was it a complete hoax? I don't pretend to know the answer to that question. But I do know that this case just reaffirms my already solid belief to never trust a night's sleep in a bunk bed. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. It's Love Notes with Maggie and Allison. Whoop, whoop. And people... Mm-hmm. You did it again. Did. We are ecstatic and over the moon. Yes. I am so happy because Coffee and Cases mm-hmm. is, for the second year in a row, a finalist for the Podcast Awards Best <laughs> Female Hosted Podcast. I mean, I feel it's so, so exciting. I know. Uh, we feel the love and we appreciate yeah. so much that you took the time to submit your vote. It really means a lot. And if you are one of those people that did vote for us, make sure that you check your email. Please check your spam folder to see if you have received an email from the podcast awards for being chosen to take part in the final round of voting. Yes. And if you were chosen, we would love for you to take just a few seconds and vote for us again. And maybe this year we'll actually bring home the award. I know. That would be so exciting because, well, we are. I would die. We are up against some big shows, just like last year. But I believe that we can do it. I have faith. Me too. Me too. I have faith in our in our people. I have faith in our family. I know. Because faith and love can do wonders. Yes, it can. So remember, check those emails. Mm -hmm. And with that, all of our love is going out to each and every one of you. Until next week, Sleuthhounds. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.